This is The Relish Podcast with Kate Stevenson. Hi there, I'm Kate Stevenson. So this, of course, is The Relish Podcast, a celebration of all things food, wine and travel. This week on the show, I've been a little late in discovering the wonder that is whiskey, but believe me, I am well and truly trying to make up for it. One thing I haven't quite wrapped my head around is Japanese whiskey. So hopefully, Nika Ambassador Marcus Parmenter can teach me a thing or two, including why we should be looking forward to their rare new release, Yoichi 10 Year Single Malt. Also, Melbourne is nothing if not multicultural, but it feels like it's only been recently that we've started to see the emergence of Filipino cuisine as a real player in this city. Part of the reason for that is the establishment of the Entrepines, a group of Filipino women dedicated to raising awareness of Filipino cuisine and culture. I'll chat to their founders about their new project, The Calamansi Story. And of course, there'll be some tips in Eat, Drink, Do Melbourne, including some new winter Saturday sessions at Victoria by Farmer's Daughter, a Vietnamese feast by Jerry Mai at Auntie Kim's, your chance to eat and drink at some super cool events during Good Beer Week, and some last-minute Mother's Day ideas from Crown, Bataga, Yugen Tea Bar and Pippi's Kiosk. All that is coming up on the Relish Podcast, celebrating the best in food, wine and travel for easy music. 3MP. At Easy Music 3MP, relax with us and all your favourite songs. all the songs you love from the 60s, 70s and 80s. Easy Music 3MP. Well, I feel like I'm pretty late to the party when it comes to whiskey, but if it helps, I'm not doing things by halves when it comes to catching up. I'm definitely working hard to learn, explore, taste. But one segment I haven't really touched yet is Japanese whiskey, which is why my next guest should come in very handy. Marcus Parmenta is brand ambassador for Nika Whiskey, who are about to introduce their rare Yoishi 10-year-old single malt to the Australian market. Marcus, welcome. Uh, Kate. Thanks for having me on the Relish podcast. It's fantastic to be here. No, no worries. Gee, what a gig. So I have started my way through, you know, Scotch and Irish and Australian whiskies. I haven't really explored Japanese whiskey at all. It's a big question. What can you tell me about them? I mean, there's there's so much to tell. How much time do we have, actually? <laughs> uh, I think it's what's fair to say is that Japanese whiskey is... Uh, almost a century old at this point in time. When people think about whiskey, there's a phrase thrown around in the industry called the big five, and that is Scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey, American, Canadian, and Japanese whiskey. And that's in reference to all the countries that have been distilling a large amount of whiskey for a certain period of time. And Japan is one that takes a lot of people by surprise, but it starts with one man, with Masataka Takatsuru, our founder, the father of Japanese whiskey and the founder of uh, Nikka Whiskey and Nikka, uh, and our two distilleries, Yoishi and Miyagekyo. And, you know, he started Nikka all the way back in 1934. And even before then, he was working within Japanese whiskey as a whole. So for the industry to come so far in such a relatively short span of time is quite surprising. But even though I say it's got a history that long, people didn't really know about Japanese whiskey outside of Japan until around 
2012 or so. Yeah, I was going to uh, say. Yeah, it's it's quite a it's a recent phenomenon for the whiskey consumer, I guess you could say. And so is it a big market there? Like, is it like, so, you know, we've obviously only really discovered it, you know, en masse here in 2012. Is it a really big market there? Do they drink a lot of it in Japan? They do drink quite a lot of it in Japan. And it's it's always funny whenever, uh, you know, whenever we have a, a nick of whiskey of any kind and someone says, we really need more of this whiskey. And we have to say, we can't because Japan's drinking all of it. Um that's, and that's always a difficult thing to explain to someone where, oh, look, I want to get you more whiskey, I really do, but I literally can't get it out of Japan uh, into Australia, so, which is fun. And so I know when we obviously, when we look at things like um, scotch, we, we'll have, you know, um, peated whiskies, non-peated whiskies. When it comes to the flavour profiles in Japan, are they pretty wide or even looking at Nikka itself, I suppose, what, what sort of flavour profiles are you looking for across, uh, across the products? I mean, you've you've got the standard variety of flavor profiles. I think you, what's important to remember is that when you talk about countries outside of Japan, you think about you know, these countries having more than 100 distilleries and people assume that means it's the broadest flavor profile. But what we find is that within Japanese whiskey, you have quite broad flavor profiles within companies themselves, and especially within Nikka, we have... Our Yuichi uh, distillery, our Yuichi Sigamont, which is fairly, it's uh, quite medium peated, but it's got that minerality and uh, salinity that you associate with a maritime whiskey. Our Miyagikyo, which is richer with more fruit and has more vibrancy behind it. And then our coffee grain, which has that spice and the sugar and the coffee malt, which has that mellowed floral flavor. So between those four, you've got a huge span of uh, flavor varietals and that really helps to bring someone into the industry and show you have so much variety in Japanese whiskey it's a uh, it has been said in the past that Japanese whiskey is generally done in one way but normally that's because people aren't exposed to the full breadth of Japanese whiskey yeah you've got to actually see it on a shelf and taste it in order to be able to compare them anyway so can we talk about the Yoishi and and the special 10 year old release because you are bringing it to Australia but we cannot go to the bottle shop to buy it there's sort of going to be so little of it that we will go to sort of select you know very good whiskey bars across Australia and certainly a few in Melbourne why is it so special what can we expect so one of the big things to recognize with the Yuichi 10 is that Japanese whiskey has not had a large amount of age statements for some time. We, Nikka, uh, at Nikka, we discontinued our single malt age statements in 2015. So we uh, discontinued the original Yuichi 10, the 12, the 15, the 18, and the Miyagikyo 12, 15, and 18. And in 2018, we discontinued the Takatsura pure malt age statements. And this was due to the fact that we did not have the age stock available. The uh, demand for our whiskey was far exceeding the supply by a huge So you couldn't hold it back to put it in, you know, in a barrel because people are drinking what you're making. Exactly. So with this relaunch and rebirth of the Yuichi 10-year-old, we wanted people to be drinking it, not collecting it, put it on a, putting it on a shelf. To make that happen, we uh, we looked around and we said, look, we want to work with whiskey bars and cocktail bars that not only we really love, but really love us. A lot of them are places that I'll go to on my work around Australia. They're places that, they're places that all the 
cocktail uh, cocktail people know, places all whiskey people know, places all the hospitality industry knows as being fantastic staples of our whiskey and cocktail industry in Australia. And we decided, as opposed to putting it on the shelves and selling it out in a record time, mm. let's instead put it solely into the bars so people can go into the bars, they can buy the whiskey themselves, and they can sit down and sip it and share the story. And that's something that's incredibly important to us is the story of whiskey and your story of whiskey. So getting able to go into Whiskey Ailment, Elysian Whiskey Bar, Burrow Bar, Baxter, Baxter Inn, Savile Row, any of these fantastic bars, sitting down with a friend and having that Yuishi 10-year-old and talking about it with them, that's going to get you the story where you can say, hey, remember that time we went and we tried that once in a lifetime, also Japanese whiskey? How great was that? Let's let's go back to that bar. Let's enjoy ourselves. So it's we're wanting to make the story. We're wanting to get people up and active. Uh, and of course, it's supporting the local and independent bars, which is something that we really, uh, really value. And it's a great idea, Marcus, because you, you're so right. And, and in those bars in particular, the staff there are so knowledgeable and so generous with their knowledge. I know when I first started getting into whiskey and was enjoying and I wasn't really sure what I liked and what I should be tasting, that's, I did exactly that, propped at the bar at Whiskey and Almond. I mean, I said to them, all right, if I've got 100 bucks at Dan's, you know, and I so far I like ones that are a little bit sweet, a little bit smoky, what, what, and so good. The barman literally got out three bottles, right? Yep, this would retail at under 100. Taste this. This is what it is. This is where it's from. So if you don't know much about, you know, Japanese whiskey, exactly that. Going there, chatting to them about it, chatting to them about the Uichi and tasting it is such a great uh, a great opportunity, I think. Marcus Parmenta, brand ambassador for Nikka Whiskey. I'm intrigued. I cannot wait to try it. I was going to plug the event that you're doing at Whiskey in Almond on Tuesday night. It is sold out, but sh- people should keep an, an eye on the Nikka Whiskey AU Instagram account just in case they decide to schedule another or they can get into, I think in Melbourne, it's Whiskey and Almond, Whiskey Den in Russell Street, one or two bar in the city, the Everly in Fitzroy or Elysian uh, Whiskey Bar in Fitzroy to taste this beautiful Yowichi or just look for Nikka Whiskey in all good bottle shops. Marcus, thank you for sharing a little bit of what you know with me today. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks so much for uh, giving us the chance to talk about Yuichi and Nika. And uh, I look forward to doing the tasting next Tuesday with uh, with Yuichi. It'll be an absolutely outstanding tasting. Well done. Thanks, Marcus. Stick around. Coming up from Japan to the Philippines, I'll speak to the women who have been behind the push to bring the best of Filipino culture and cuisine to Melbourne on Relish, celebrating the best in food, wine and travel for Melbourne's Easy Music 3MP. This is the Relish Podcast with Kate Stevenson. Well, unless you've been living under a rock, you'd probably know that Filipino cuisine seems to be having its moment in Melbourne. From Ross Magne's runaway success Sarai to West Footscray's Chibog or cult favourite Caraton Sorbetes, it seems we're finally paying attention to this little acknowledged but seriously complex and flavoursome cuisine. And behind the scenes, pushing the culture as much as the food of the Philippines for a few years now, has been a group of trailblazing women known as the Entree Pinays. Co-founders Fides Santos and Grace Ginto join me now. Welcome to you both. Hi, Kate. Thanks for having us. 
Now, I, th- I assume that's accurate because I feel like I've been watching you guys plug away at, you know, really pu- pushing Filipino cuisine and Filipino food for such a long time. Everybody else thinks all of a sudden this has happened, but there- there's been some work, hasn't there? Fidesz, tell me, what is Entree Pines and-, and how did it start for you guys and why? Well, the Entree Pines is a collective of female uh, enterprising women um, and we are here to work together to put forward the Filipino cuisine, culture and community. Um, and the reason why we, we got together um, is, is really to address that the, op- the challenge and opportunity around um, representation of our food and culture. I mean, Melbourne is such a melting pot of so many amazing cuisines um, because of our multicultural um, population. Yet, and Filipinos are actually the fifth largest migrant community. Well, that's um, what I was wondering. Yeah, is it really? Yeah. So, but that's not necessarily reflective of the um, of the landscape. Um, two years ago, two or three years ago, when we started um, entrepreneurs, that certainly wasn't the case. But we're really excited about where we've come to yeah. where we are now. Um, and so, a lot we're seeing a lot of amazing um, food entrepreneurs, I guess, and maybe second, third gen really. Um, connecting back to their culture, and you mentioned a few of those in the beginning, um, and I think those will really, those are really helping drive the the representation, awareness, and curiosity around uh, food. Yeah, and Grace, so you know, this seems like a stupid question, right? But I think we all we we all have an idea immediately when you say Chinese or you say Thai or you say Vietnamese, we have an idea of what those flavor profiles are. Yeah? And I think part of the problem is people just don't know what Filipino cuisine is. So if they asked you, you know, how would you describe sort of you know the the sort of broad idea of Filipino cuisine? What is it? Yeah, I would probably describe it by flavor profiles. I think it's summed up by salty, sweet, sour, and bitter. Um, if you think about the salty element of it, you know, we're a 7,000 island archipelago. So there's so much seafood abundance that surrounds us and we've got seawater as well. So when we do actually have an abundance of seafood that's drawn in by the fishermen, um, they don't ever want it go to waste. So what they've done is use salt to actually um, either ferment the surplus fish or the surplus, surplus shrimp and they make what is called bagoong, which is a, one of an example of a, a fermented fish sauce that's very similar to what we have in Thai and Vietnamese cuisine. But then one of the things that nuances Filipino food is our love for sweet elements as well. It's a just a position of the salty and sweet and bringing that together to bring something savoury, but with a sweet undertone to it. And one of the dishes that we love is called langonisa, which is basically a Spanish word for sausage. But our version of it is very garlicky, peppery, but it also has some sugar in it. So when you actually sort of fry it off in the frying pan, it actually caramelizes the outside casing mm. and it becomes this beautiful, salty, sweet, um, luscious um, sausage that we love eating with our garlic fried rice and so forth. And then when we go into the sour element of it, you know, pre-colonial times before we had refrigeration, a lot of our um, surplus food yet again was actually, um, I guess, preserved using vinegars, um, mm. natural vinegars that are drawn from coconuts and other sort of naturally grown produce in the Philippines. So vinegars plays a really big part of our cuisine as well. And um, most especially um, the notion of salsawan, which is a dipping sauce. So whether you use vinegars to add that sour flavoring or you use what we love called calamansi, a small citrus fruit that we also squeeze into our dishes, um, we absolutely love that. 
And then certain parts of the region of the Philippines love their bitter element. And that's where we use some unusual elements such as, you know, bitter gourd as one of those vegetables, those spiky little vegetables that you probably also got introduced to in your um, trips to Vietnam, uh, Kate. But also um, the use of, uh, what's that, bile, the bile in goat, which they add into some of their dishes up there in wow. the north of um, the Philippines in the local sit region. So just all these flavour profiles come together to really have some nuanced dishes um, that sort of really displays that the Filipino cuisine, it's not a monolith, much like mm. our 7,000 island archipelago. Um, now, you speak about the Calamansi line. Nice segue because you guys are never sitting oh. still. You guys have just launched a pretty exciting project, the Calamansi story. What's that all about? The Calamansi story, well, it's what we're calling a legacy project and it's a three-part project. Um, and it's really, we use Calamansi because it, it for us, it's a symbol of home um, and both the motherland as well as a migrant adopted country, Australia. Um, and... Personally, you know, Grace and I, um, we have a backyard calamansi tree that our parents, you know, planted 30 or so years ago when we migrated here as a symbol and a connection back to home, but also to utilise the fruits in our food. Um, and so it was a really, um, I guess, perfect symbol of, of this project. And so the calamansi story is is a book um, and that's uh, really, I guess, promotes and um, tells stories of the Filipino migrants in Australia. So there's about 35, 40 stories that we've curated um, from the community. Um, there's the film that we have co-produced with one of Philippines' best digital storytellers, Erwan Husaf, who's actually been just shortlisted um, for a James Beard nomination, which Amazing. is really exciting. Um, and then the third thing is to showcase the possibility of what calamansi is for both Australia and the Philippines is this delicious calamansi cider um, that we partnered with, um, you know, the team and the owners, uh, Jenny and Mark at Divi Cider in Macedon Ranges. So it's a multi-platform, multi-experiential, multi-storytelling project. Um, and I guess our aim for that is that um, you know it's a universal call to action to our community, but also to our country. Um, you know, and, and I guess change makers and leaders and decision makers in terms of how we can push forward our cuisine, culture and community. And a great way, you know, you, you're kind of giving people different ways to get involved. Yeah, you can make a bit of an effort. Absolutely. You can read the book. You can see the film. Just have a cider, exactly. you know, explore it that way. Yeah, um, absolutely. You, know, I, you got, got it. So have you many, tasted it, Kate? Not yet. not yet. Not yet. And I've got so many things I want to ask you guys about. And there was one thing that I found so interesting. I'm going to run out of time. But um, yeah. the that documentary, you launched that at the Mission to seafarers yeah and i i assume the decision to launch that there was not a coincidence yeah what why there because there's there's a link to filipinos there isn't there mm. yeah we absolutely loved the site when we first got introduced to it by pat nurse who is um the creative um the creative behind what is an oven finna wine festival and so forth um when he got sort of brought into the space by Daria Ray, um, she had sort of said that, you know, this is still a functional space where um, the seamen and seafarers that come on shore, moving all the shipping containers from the different parts of the world to our port Melbourne city, 60% um, of them are of Filipino heritage. And when they come on shore for 24 to 48 hours, very, very short respite time, 
the one thing that they're looking for is like, where can I get some Filipino snacks? Where can I get some Filipino food? Or can I get a um, connector to the wireless to call my family back in the Philippines? And so mm -hmm. it's one of those things that when you actually think about this shadow economy coming into our shores, but they're actually still seeking semblance of home, mm -hmm. it really resonated with us because us as daughters of Filipino migrants, regardless of how old we get, we are always craving for that sense of home and that sense of connection. And so when we when there was an opportunity to launch it at Melbourne Food and Wine Festival at Seafarers, we jumped at it, especially after seeing that Norla Dome. Have you been there, Kate? No, I have not. Is, I've not been to the oh, site. I've seen the outside and it looks just oh, so interesting. Especially that Norla Dome. When you walk in, you're like, oh, my God, what can we do with this space? And it just mm. ended up being a perfect concrete canvas for us um, showcasing the documentary along the screen. And it just mm. really brought that sense of community that we were really striving for for that event. I loved it. I saw yeah. I saw the mission themselves post afterwards and I think post to, to your community to say, you know, thanks for that, what a great event. And I saw that 60% figure and went, that is, it's just phenomenal. Fides Santos and Grace Ginto, I could talk all day. I've watched from the <laughs> sidelines over the last few years as you have put so much work into promoting the strong Filipino culture and cuisine. We're seeing the fruits of that now all over Melbourne. Um, the Calamansi store that's just another example of your hard work. So we'll encourage people to head to thecalamancystory.com. That's Calamancy with a C. Uh, for more information, there'll be links there to Mercado Market where they can buy the book um, or the cider or both. Just do both. Congratulations. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for the space and letting us um, share our story. Thanks so much, Kate. Thank you, guys. Stick around. There's a little bit more to come in the form of tips on what to eat, drink and do in Melbourne on Relish, celebrating the best in food, wine and travel for Melbourne's Easy Music 3MP. For lovers of easy music, it all adds up with 3MP and Crystal Clear Stereo right across Melbourne. There to make a better, clearer sound for you to enjoy your easy music favourites. Upgrade your radio to DAB Plus and change the way you listen to Easy Music 3MP. Find out more at 3MP.com.au. All right, nearly done, but of course there is just enough time to share some tips on all things Eat, Drink, Do Melbourne and eat. Well, I'm particularly excited about this one. Fed Square Fave Victoria by Farmer's Daughters are teaming up with Starwood Whiskey to launch a weekly bespoke bottomless brunch offering that they're dubbing Winter Saturday Sessions. There'll be two two-hour sessions each week, so at 11.30am and 2.30pm where you can enjoy bottomless Starwood whiskey cocktails alongside a seasonal sharing menu of hearty food curated by exec chef Alejandro Saravia and his team. So think barbecue, free-range barangarook pork belly or roasted root vegetable pie while you sip on a whiskey dark and stormy or maybe a lemon and cherry old-fashioned. It all kicks off this Sunday the 13th of May. You can book at victoriarestaurant.com.au. Also, don't know if you noticed I wasn't around for a couple of weeks, I'm just back from a seriously fun holiday in Vietnam and I'm even more obsessed with Vietnamese food than before. So I'm pretty pumped that event space Auntie Kim's is launching a new series of Lunch with Friends and they're kicking off with the legendary Jerry Mai cooking up a Vietnamese feast with their chef Noah Crowcroft. 
So this one will take place Sunday the 21st of May. Dishes will include barn cot with pork relish, poached prawn and Yarra Valley smoked salmon caviar and grilled barramundi fillet with marnem and pineapple. Plenty more dishes too and later in the year they'll host some other chefs including Diana Chan. To book this one you can just head to opentable.com.au, search Auntie Kim's and select their chef's collaboration. And do, do Melbourne. Well, if you haven't organised anything for Mother's Day, do get your skates on just in case I do have a couple of options for you. The great news is that Crown are offering their Parisian high tea all across Mother's Day weekend, but also all the way through till the end of June. So you're bound to get in on that one. Uh, In that lovely space, the waiting room in the Crown Towers lobby, you'll enjoy a four-tiered stand that'll have delicious sweet and savoury offerings from a dainty dark chocolate and praline eclair to indulgent fried camembert and baked scallop and crab volivant. You can book via their website, crownmelbourne.com.au. Otherwise, you might be able to get a table for Bataga's decadent six-course menu in Brighton. Consider taking mum to see beautiful venue Yugen Tea Bar in South Yarra. You can enjoy their high tea. Sourdough crumpet with smoked eel creme fresh and caviar, anyone? Or maybe enjoy a long lunch on Mother's Day on the beach at Pippi's Kiosk in Albert Park. You can search any of those. Bataga in Brighton, Yugen Tea Bar, South Yarra. Pippi's Kiosk, Albert Park, and have a look at those offerings. But that's about it for this episode. I'd love to hear from you anytime. You can email me, relish at 3mp.com.au. But this has been the Relish Podcast, celebrating the best in food, wine, and travel for Melbourne's easy music, 3MP. You've been listening to the Relish Podcast with Kate Stevenson. 